Welcome to Finding the Modern Man podcast. Join me, Peter Kirikosta, your health and performance expert and self-leadership coach, as myself and my guests discuss and uncover what it means to be a man in today's society, helping you optimize physical, mental, and emotional health in order to create a life with purpose and passion in the changing world that we live in. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Finding the Modern Man podcast. Today, I'm running on from something I mentioned in the previous episode on the meaning we put on suffering. Now, this is a very important topic because it is such a part of human nature and the human experience. There are many forms of suffering. Today, we'll be looking more at loss and even within loss, there are different forms of loss as well. As examples, we've got the loss of a relationship, the loss of our career, the loss of our work, the loss of our identity. But today, the type of loss that I want to focus on more so is the loss of a loved one. Because this is something that's very close to our hearts and most people have experienced this by now. If you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s and above, chances are you've experienced this. And if you haven't, it is going to happen at some point in time. So understanding something very important about loss is the grieving process. This is what we're going to come to more understanding about today. Now, when it comes to the stages of grief, there are multiple variations of this concept. The one that I've chosen to go with, which resonates with me more, are the seven stages of grief popularized by psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in her book on dying, on death and dying. She starts off with the first stage of grief, which is shock and denial. Very self-explanatory. When you lose someone, whether you know it's coming through terminal illness or a shock passing, a sudden impact passing, there's shock. When you get that call or if you're in a position to be present when someone passes away, and give them that gift of not passing alone. The shock sets in when you don't see that chest moving anymore. When that stops. Just as when you get that call that you weren't expecting. The body goes into shock. Our psyche goes into a denial from there. Not wanting to believe it. Because why would we want to believe that we've just lost a big part of us, a big part of ourselves, a big part of our life? Our psyche comes in to protect us. It can numb our emotions, put a lid on it, go into denial as a way to defend ourselves from the immense pain that can come with that kind of loss. The second stage is the pain and guilt. And as the shock wears off and the situation becomes real, 
This is where we can experience the intense emotional pain in our heart, in our stomach, in our minds of having lost that person, coming to the realization that this is not a dream. It is not a joke and this is happening. The pain of that can be very immense. For anyone that's experienced it, you know. For anyone that hasn't, nothing can prepare you for it. However, there can also be, as the title says in this stage, guilt. Whether you know it's coming or not, there there are those times where you question yourself. And I'm sure for anyone that's um, experienced this, you know you question yourself. You start asking questions. What could I have done? Did I Is there something I didn't do? Is there something I could have said? Should I have done this? If only I had gone with them there. If only I had rung. If only. What if? This is a very painful cycle and it is one to be very careful of as well. Because this is just an infinity circle. There's no start. There's no end. It's a loop that goes on in our minds in our hearts, in our very soul. It's this loop that just keeps going around and around and around. And there is no end. So catching ourselves in those moments is very important. Or having someone around, if you're talking to someone that can interrupt that cycle. Because that can send us into even further of a spiral. Down the sadness and depression that comes with loss. And at the end of the day, it's done. This is, and I don't mean to minimize it with that comment. What is done is done. There is nothing we could have, we could do more. And sometimes it wouldn't have made a difference. I would say most of the time, it would not have made a difference if we had done or said something differently. But it's a natural part of the process. Next, stage three of grieving is the anger and bargaining. This is where the anger and frustration of the situation may arise and may be directed towards various targets, including yourself, others, and even the deceased. This is a natural part. And it's... I know that anger is looked down upon in today's society as a negative thing, but it is a natural emotion. If we're taking it out on people relentlessly and bringing harm to people, no, okay, that's not a good thing. But to feel it, to express it, is important and it's natural. We can start getting angry at ourselves coming off that second stage of pain and guilt. We can start to blame others. Why didn't you? You should have. You could have. So many, so many attacks that can be made. And again, it doesn't help or change the situation. Unfortunately, what's done is done. And the bargaining, the bargaining is a part of it too. This is something where bargaining, what do you mean? It's where We bargain and almost pray, for want of a better word, 
and attempts to make deals or negotiate with some kind of higher power, life or God, however you want to relate to it, to change the outcome. I'll give you a personal example. A few years back, when my mother was terminally ill, I found myself literally praying to change to trade lives. I would go through names of people that, as judgmental as it is, I felt were a waste of space. They were the cockroaches of society. They were taking up good oxygen. They were taking from the world instead of giving it, instead of giving something back to it. And if you're like me, you found yourself in that position where you're saying, come on, I'll give you this person, that person, X, Y, and Z. These are the reasons why. I'll give you 10 just to save that one. Take the ones that are taking and, and the ones that are dead weight in society. Give me one. Save that one. If someone's already gone, you can be asking to, like, to just bring them back some way, somehow. The bargaining, it's a natural thing. Yeah, it is judgmental. You may feel guilty about it. You may feel some remorse, but it's a natural part of the process, okay? And that's all right. The fourth stage is depression and loneliness. This is where you may experience a deep sense of sadness, helplessness, emptiness. You may withdraw socially. You may feel isolated, be it broadly or self-imposed. This is common. And it's very important through these stages to recognize this is just part of the process. It is an aspect. It's a part, as I've spoken about previously, the parts of us. It's a part of you that is depressed and lonely. Because often there are people around you that care and that love, and that want to be there for you. It's never going to bring the other person back. It's never going to replace what, what and who you've lost. But if we open ourselves in those moments and accept, yeah, I do feel depressed. There is a part of me that's really depressed. There's a part of me that feels so empty. But also take comfort in the people who are there. Take their offers up, whether it's just a phone call or the text, a hug. Reach out for one and say, I just need a hug right now. I just feel so, however you feel at the moment, express that and ask someone closer to you to help meet your emotional needs and give you some comforting and nurturing. Because this is all part of it and it's so common. But often, we are not alone. And often, it's the people you don't expect to be there that you wouldn't think were going to be there that step up to the plate unexpectedly. So please keep your minds and your hearts open to this. Stage five is the upward turn. So as time goes on, the process is allowed to flow and go. There can be a bit of an upward turn this is where we start to adjust to the reality of the loss. We may begin to explore new possibilities and show signs of acceptance in our life. 
knowing that we need to adjust and that at some point we need to make that decision to move on and adjust. Stage six is the reconstruction and working through. This is the part where we gradually rebuild our lives. Some of the most intense, intense emotions may have subsided by this time or just not as frequent. So we can get a little more mental and emotional space in order to reconstruct our lives and look at, okay, life is never going to be the same. What can I do to still find some kind of happiness in the day-to-day? How can I adjust to the new way of being? What is What are some new things I can bring into my life? Whether it's people, activities, attitudes, what are ways I can change so as not to be stuck in the same cycle trying to fill that void or trying to fill that gap. And this is also a time where you can start to look at different processes to help that grieving, to help process those emotions and the stages make more sense of what's happened and where you're at and to help you go forward. The seventh stage of grieving is the acceptance and hope. The final stage involves the accepting the reality of the loss and finding some peace in it. And now this is not to say that we move on and forget because that's never going to happen realistically and nor should it. Otherwise, that to me would indicate perhaps we've shoved it down a little too far and back into the recesses of our mind. And that's not positive either. Through all of this, we need to remember as well that grief is not linear. Although these stages sound very clean cut and clear, it is a maze. It is the ups and downs. You could be feeling fine, and then all of a sudden, boom, another stage is going to hit you out of nowhere. Right? The ups and downs. Every stage, you could get stuck more in one or two than another. And then over time, perhaps stages six and seven are going to come in a bit more, give a bit of relief. And then you're back to being in denial or you're back to being depressed or angry. And that's okay. This is often, I feel, a part where we can feel like we're going crazy. People, heartless people might be telling you that you should be getting over it. That you need to move on. You need to stop being like this. Stop being like that. No. Let it flow and let it go. One thing that is important though, when we let it flow, is to let it go and let it flow through us and not hold on for too long onto that very moment. Because what can happen when we are in an emotional state or that part of us is in the executive chair operating more so when that becomes more than just a temporary state and it becomes a personality trait, then that is not healthy long-term. So being able to accept it, acknowledge it, 
being able to name it as well. This is why being familiar with the stages is very handy because you can feel into it and say, okay, you know what? I'm feeling depressed and lonely. I'm feeling empty because name that person is not with me anymore. Be able to say, you know what? I'm flicking between wanting to walk out of my work go and cry in the car, to then the next minute wanting to flip tables out of anger. And that's okay. Acknowledge it, accept it, name it. This is one thing that we can do as well, is connect with that aspect of ourselves and be able to connect and say, hey, I see you, I get it, I'm with you. Treat it like it was someone else. Save that part of anger is in and it's just you feel like it's it is you no just remind yourself this is a part of you it's not the whole of you so you can get in touch with that anger and treat it like it's and a separate person like you're talking to your best friend and go hey man i see you're angry i get it i feel it too what do you need right now nurture that part of you like it's someone else this can just help. It's a bit of self-soothing, right? Especially if you don't have someone right there to do that for you. Very important. Another thing that we need to be aware of or that I think it's very beneficial to be aware of is how we can choose avoidance tactics as well. And this is often very sub subconscious. Again, going back to that shock and denial where we numb the emotions, we push things aside a bit. This can happen as well where we might, uh, there are various ways, just to name a few. You might throw yourself into work and become a workaholic. So you can't think and feel into that part of yourself or that part of life. You may be throwing yourself into exercise because what's great to get out of your mind, get into your body. So if you're training constantly, you don't have a chance to really feel and often you're that exhausted that you can't feel that intensely or that deep. There are more traditional vices as well, more stereotypical ones like drugs, alcohol, smoking, Anything that's an escapism that takes us away because as humans, we either move towards joy or move away from pain. More often than not, we will choose avoid pain and it can even be just, yeah, anything, anything there that's just an escapism that takes your mind off. It could be mindless scrolling, trying to get attention on or connection through through um, dating or meaningless sex, just to try and get a connection with someone, feel some kind of dopamine hit, some oxytocin, to feel like someone actually cares, to help fill that void. Anything that's filling that void and that's distracting us from the real pain, the real stuff that's going on under the surface. And again... Be kind to yourself about it. Don't expect it to just end. Don't get angry at yourself because you, you're perhaps repeating some of these patterns. 
It is a part of the process, but acknowledging it is a big part of being able to do something about it further on down the line. And at some point, when we come, we start coming through this, we start hopefully getting a hold of our emotions and acknowledgement of all the kind of whirlwind of emotions that we come to. How can we put this suffering to positive use? Now, I know that sounds a bit odd at times, but what positives can we take from it? Take the person you lost, okay? Think about what positive attributes they have. Was it their compassion? Was it their dedication? Was it their positivity? Was it their drive to follow their own dreams? So how can we connect with that? This is a good way to help keep that presence alive, keep their spirit alive, keep their memory and honor them in the best way that we can. Because there'll be times, and I'm sure, and I'm sure there's people who've been through this have experienced that you don't want to get out of bed in the morning. And one thing that's worked for me in the past is there's this little voice in my head that goes, would they be doing that? If they were alive, would they be laying in bed miserable? Would they be wanting you to lay in bed miserable? No. So I'm not shutting those emotions off or shoving them aside, burying them. I'm just going, no. I use it as inspiration and go, this is how I feel, but I'm going to get up anyway. Because I know that he was so dedicated. I know that she was so compassionate and loving. Whatever it is about those people, you take those positive aspects and you and, and, and enable those to shine through. It's like you harness those, bring them into yourself and shine that out. Use that as positive motivation, as inspiration. You can think of that person at times when you're feeling sorry for yourself, you're down or something's happening and you just go, okay, what is it about them? Come on, would so-and-so do this? Give it a go. It's not going to fix things immediately. It's not going to be a miracle cure, but it's something that helps. Again, it's that self-leadership that we can take. It's that decision we can make to take that suffering and do something with it. And another thing, when it comes to embracing all of those emotions, the whirlwind, especially if you haven't been able to process it all yet, this is what I call controlling the eye of the storm. There is a storm of emotions happening inside you and around you. But when there's a point in time where you can harness that, embrace it, feel it, and be arms out, head up, eyes open, heart open, ready with all of that, not denying it, not hiding it, but being in control of it and being able to put it to good use. Perhaps there's something the person you lost was passionate about, a cause. Perhaps there's something you're passionate about that you can use that inspiration to go and really kill it. Instead of killing yourself, instead of killing your heart, open it to other people and help other people's lives. Bring that knowledge, bring that spirit of, thou, of our loved ones to 
what we do and the lives we touch. So then the memory lives on, the purpose. It's not in vain. It can help bring a bit of purpose to it. And on a lighter note, to quote the great Rocky Balboa in the movie Rocky Balboa, where he's deciding to go in and fight again, and he's talking to Paulie, and Paulie's asking, why does he want to do this? And he goes, I've still got some stuff in the basement. You know, that basement is where we bury things sometimes, and it's important to get in touch with that, to know it, learn it, embrace it, and use it instead of letting it use us up and letting us cons- and letting it consume us it's about how can we take this person's life that was short how can we bring those attributes and aspects to our lives and let them live on through our hearts, through our minds, through our life experience and bring that on to other people, even though other people may not know where it's coming from. How can we live with that intention and that intensity? So now, before I wrap it up, I'll look at what is something you can do when you're the person supporting the grieving one? The biggest part, listen more, talk less. A great mentor of mine said to me, Pete, we have two two ears and one mouth. Use them in that ratio. So in other words, you should be listening twice as much as you're talking. Because when someone's grieving, they don't want to be fixed. They don't want to be judged for where they're at. They don't want to be told what they should do. Learn to listen, acknowledge, hold space. If you're the type of person that's like a lot of men want to fix shit. We like to fix things. There's a problem. I know how to fix it. Even if you don't, you'll still come up with something. No, not the time or place. Talk less. Listen more. Don't be formulating your answers while someone's talking. Sit there. Open-eyed, open-eared, and open-hearted. Acknowledge them. Embrace them. Nurture them. Ask them what they need. Don't be afraid to reach out as well because sometimes it can feel awkward. You know that people are hurting and you don't want to bother them. You can still just send a little message of, hey, thinking about you. Hey, care about you. If you need anything, let me know. Do that. Even if they don't get back to you, that doesn't matter. It's the effort. Because one day they might. And we need to be able to listen clearly and actively and talk less. And it's okay to have silence. Sometimes you can just sit there. Just having someone there with you and for you in the silence can mean the world to the other person. Remember, it's about them. It's not about you. No matter how awkward or nervous you may feel about the situation or about the conversation, it's not about you. It's about them. So make it about them. 
Keep the focus on what they need. Let them vent. Even if it's repetitive, just be there. Listen. Let them let it out. In the moments of silence are often when more clarity comes or someone that's been holding back may feel comfortable enough to speak out because you were silent for long enough to let them have their time. And sometimes even just letting someone know, hey, if you ever want to talk, even if you just want to send me a voice message or call and scream down the phone, whatever emotions that you're going through, do it. That's okay. I'm all right with it. I'm here for you. Sometimes more is, sometimes less is more. You can affect someone's life positively by just letting them have the space and time. So I hope you got something positive from this podcast episode. If you did, please like, subscribe, share, because this is something that we all have experienced or will experience in time. And remember, you are not alone. There are people there. You may not recognize it. And I hope you do have a support network if you're going through this yourself. Please reach out. Because people do care. And this is an important part of life. So thank you for listening. And I'll see you again next episode. Just a friendly reminder that what we discussed today does not constitute personalized advice. If you're planning on making significant changes to your life, creating a pathway suited to your specific needs and goals is recommended. Also, if you have any questions or topics you would like me to cover on future episodes, please get in touch via social media or through the website. And thank you again, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.